Now let's go to the scripture reading for today. The passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read from verses 3 to 9 and then 14 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 9 and 14 to 22. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The most central message of Christianity is this. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And if you are a totally reasonable human being uh, who've never heard that before, uh, the first question that comes up as soon as you hear that is, that is an extraordinary claim. And when it comes to extraordinary claims, uh, shouldn't you approach that with, with a, a, a good measure of skepticism? Uh, as a reasonable and scientific-minded person, shouldn't you approach that, not immediately receiving that, but doubting that? So let's address that first, because that's a really good question. Um, First, contrary to popular opinion, uh, being scientific and rational doesn't mean that you have to be constantly skeptical and constantly doubtful. Uh, That's not what being scientific or fair-minded means. Uh, This is from a scientist named Jeff Harden. He's the chair of the Department of Zoology at University of Wisconsin. He says, quote, Scientists are taught to evaluate data. Being skeptical might mean that extraordinary claims need impressive evidence to back them up. That's reasonable. But if it's shorthand for no matter what the evidence, I won't believe it, then this is a disposition based on prior commitment. You see what he's saying there? Science is about evaluating the data and the evidence. Uh, You can actually be unscientific if you are adamant about being skeptical in the presence of data and evidence. The more rational and scientific thing to do is actually to look at the data and to submit yourself to the evidence no matter what your prior commitment is. And that will make you an utterly and radically uh, scientific and rational 
minded person. That's being intellectually honest. To let the evidence take you where, wherever it might take you, even if it means abandoning your prior commitments. The next question then is okay, what is this data then about uh, Jesus? When it comes to the resurre- resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is the data? Um, and we can s- probably spend a whole um, semester on this, but uh, here, here are five um, key things that I want to present to you as, as a way of launching the dialogue. Uh, and then from, that, from these data, I, I then want to leave you with three uh, simple challenges. One is an intellectual challenge for the unbeliever. Uh, the second is a missional challenge for those who do believe. And third, a situational challenge uh, for all of us. Okay? Intellectual challenge for the non-believer, a missional challenge for the believer, and a situational challenge for all of us. All right, so let's go to the data. First, there's the reality of Jesus' existence. Uh, virtually every historian uh, in the world today believes that Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical person uh, in first century Palestine. Uh, Bart Ehrman, he's an atheist historian at UNC Chapel Hill. He wrote a book titled, Did Jesus Exist? And in that book, he makes a rigorous case uh, for the historical reality of Jesus and just completely demolishes the mythicist view that Jesus is a mythical character, that he, that he didn't really exist. Um, the significance of that is, uh, as even secular historical scholarship acknowledges that Uh, Jesus was a real historical figure, then we have to take the events surrounding Jesus' life seriously. Uh, We can't simply dismiss them as ahistorical or non-historical, but we have to take them into account and assess that as well. So the first piece of information is he lived. He really lived. Okay, simple enough. Now here's number two, the death of Jesus. Everything about the account of Jesus' crucifixion aligns with Roman records and Jewish records of crucifixion practices during that time. Uh, Not only do the gospel accounts attest to this, Josephus, a credible, uh, well-respected, non-Christian historian from the first century, mentions Jesus specifically and his death by crucifixion. He identifies Jesus very clearly as the brother of Apostle James, a wise teacher who was, quote, beaten in his naked body with scourges and crucified by Pilate, the Roman governor. Jesus died by crucifixion, and that is also an undeniable historical fact. All right, that's the second thing. He really died, okay? He really lived, and he really died. Third, the empty tomb. Uh, Jesus' tomb was really empty. Uh, Now, naturally, the quickest way to dismiss the Jesus movement uh, would have been to simply produce Jesus' body. And historians tell us uh, rulers and authorities during this time would have had uh, all the access to Jesus' body and to his tomb, uh, where, to the point where uh, the, the followers of Christ who wanted to bury Jesus had to go and get permission from government authorities in order to do so. And that's all according to their custom and practice. So they had soldiers guarding the tomb. And there is no way uh, that a couple of fishermen who abandoned Jesus out of fear, would suddenly conjure up the courage to go and fight the soldiers, steal the body, and lie about the resurrection. 
that's what's also very interesting about this. Uh, the officials, they do try to spread the rumor uh, that Jesus' disciples stole the body. They somehow stole the body. But what does that confirm? The tomb was, in fact, empty. Uh, while they lack an explanation for how the body came to be stolen, they're confirming the fact that it was, in fact, empty. Number four, the transformation of Jesus' followers. First, uh, you have a group of Jewish men who had no respect for women during this time, neither in social circles or in court of rule of law, suddenly championing the women as the first eyewitnesses to the risen Christ and presenting them as credible uh, witnesses. And that warrants an explanation. If, if that's not what happened, why would they do that? A lot of you knew that. Now, here's something else. Jewish men during this time considered worshiping a man to be blasphemy, punishable by death. Jesus was a man. Uh, he was a son of God, eternally divine, yet he came putting on human flesh. He was fully man. And worshiping a man who they ate with, lived with, journeyed with, would have been unthinkable for Jewish people, much less someone who was just crucified and buried. But not only are these men worshiping Jesus, they're worshiping him to their death. They're publicly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ and preaching it to their death. Question is, could a hoax really have transformed them that way? Um, would something you know is a lie somehow turn you into a martyr? Uh, that warrants an explanation. Finally, there's the transformation of Jesus' enemies. Okay. Jesus had brothers who called him a madman and didn't even show up at his trial or his crucifixion or burial. Uh, his brothers had totally abandoned and disowned Jesus. And yet you see Jesus' brother James, who becomes an apostle of Jesus, and in his apostolic letter to the church, he identifies himself as, quote, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He caused a brother he had once denied and disowned, his God and his Lord. What happened to James? And there's Saul of Tarsus, the most passionate persecutor of the Jesus movement, who overnight becomes himself a Jewish Christian who is baptized. He becomes Saul the missionary. What happened to Saul? And according to Saul, this is the explanation. We have seen the risen Christ. James has seen it. I've seen him. We have seen the risen Christ. And that's the only explanation they give for their transformation. Now, there's more data than that, but let me just pause here and move on to the bigger points, okay? Um, if you're joining us today and you're not a Christian, you don't believe in the supernatural, anything like the resurrection of the dead, I, we're, we're so glad you're here with us and, and taking part in our service today. And we really welcome you. And, you know, when this is all over, I'd love to sit down and grab coffee with you and, and talk about this, these, these kinds of things. For now, I want to leave you with this. Uh, please wrestle with the data and the evidence. Uh, be better than a skeptic. Be an intellectual who wrestles with the historical data. And this is what scientists would call the inference to the best explanation. Uh, the Christian claim is that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day is the most natural inference to the best explanation. Okay. You, you disagree, okay. Please do present for yourself uh, an alternative theory that can also explain the data or even better explain the data. 
that's the intellectual challenge for our non-believing friends. Uh, to be so intellectually honest and consistent with yourself and with the data that you're willing to let the evidence take you where it leads, even if it means moving away from your prior commitments. And as you do so, if you're open to this, I would encourage you to do this as well. Uh, incorporate this into your journey, into your search. Prayer. Uh, incorporate prayer into this process. Because the Bible says this, that the Spirit of God has to convict our hearts of our sins in order for us to truly believe. And that is a set of data that nobody really uh, looks at honestly. Our sins. Uh, we need God's help to see that more objectively. So turning to God in prayer and even taking part in worship um, and honestly examining and, and testing Christianity and claims of Christianity, not only at an intellectual level, but, but also at a more moral and existential level, personal level, uh, can be very helpful as well. In fact, it's necessary that we do so. So I want to encourage you to do continue to worship with us and continue to raise questions, raise your doubts, and investigate away. Along the way, worship with us and, and combine the intellectual search and also the spiritual search uh, into one. Again, so glad you're, you're joining us. Uh, number two, here's a challenge for believers. For those of you who are Christians who believe the data, and the challenge for you is not so much an intellectual one, but a missional one. The simplest and the single most important response we as Christians must give to the resurrection is to proclaim it to others. And the challenge I want to give you or leave you with is this, and I say this out of love you know, to my brothers and sisters, when are you actually going to go and tell others about the risen Christ? When was the last time you told somebody that Jesus is alive? Uh, are you praying for someone? Are you thinking of someone? Are you trying to draw close to someone so that you can present the risen Christ to them? Are you obeying the Great Commission? Now, before you, you begin to wonder, uh, how do I even begin to do that, uh, especially during COVID-19? Uh, people have different needs right now. The last thing they want to hear about is religion. Here, okay, put a pin on that. Um, there's a simpler way to begin this missional process, participating in Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. And this, this is it. And many of you are already doing this. It begins with you sharing your life. It begins with you sharing your life. Right now, all around the world, uh, people are figuring out how to stay connected, uh, how to stay connected socially, relationally, uh, emotionally. And how are they doing that? How are we connecting with one another online or offline? The most basic way we're connecting with one another is by sharing what is currently active and alive in our lives. Okay? It's through the enjoyment and, and the sharing of that enjoyment of what is active and alive in your life. You know, think about what is being shared when we're connecting online. It's live music, it's live conversations, it's live games, sometimes live cooking, live people. It's about sharing what is alive, what is active. And we do this even during, and especially during 
a global pandemic. Nobody is saying, "Hey, we're dealing with a pandemic here. Enough with the with the live music on balconies.、Uh, enough with the watch parties. Enough with the." Nobody is saying that because we know, in the face of death, we need hope more than ever before. We need joy more than ever. We need we need laughter、uh, more than ever before. We need the ability to focus on what is active and alive now. And people are open to that. And people are open to that now. So the missional question is this: If you are a Christian,、uh, is Christ alive and active in your life? Is Christ living in your life in a real and tangible way? Because if He is, then when people connect with you, they will connect with Him. I'm sure of that. We are bound to share what is currently most active and alive in our lives. So before you think, you know, how will I awkwardly、uh, bring up Jesus in a conversation with my friend or with my coworker? Don't go there just yet.、Um, linger here for a moment. How am I striving to enjoy the living Christ just for myself on a daily basis? How am I pursuing Christ in my everyday life? And I'm certain that your answer. To those questions,、uh, will lead you to naturally find an answer to the missional question: How will I share this with my friends, family, coworkers, neighbors? And church, this is why this is so important. The Apostle Paul says in verse three, "I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received." First importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then in verse seventeen and nineteen, it says, "If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied." So, what is the first importance that we believe that Jesus is alive? That according to with the scriptures, that he was, he died, he was raised, and he, he he lives today. If we're not living in the enjoyment of that, if we're not actively seeking the living Christ and spreading the message of this living Christ and spreading something else,、um, like here's a list of things you shouldn't be doing. Here's a list of things you should be doing. Friends, the Bible says that faith is futile. That faith is in vain. You doing all the right things according to the Bible, but not holding on to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it makes your faith entirely futile, useless, and in vain. Let's not live a faith that is futile and in vain,、uh, but let's live a faith that is fruitful. Let's spread the message of Christ's resurrection by first walking with Him on on a daily basis in our everyday lives. And I believe that to the degree that you. Do this, and you seek after Him, and you you find that He is active and alive in you. All those who connect with you will also connect with Him. Whenever you check in on a friend, you're asking how they're doing. You're you're building your friendship continually and sharing with them and and imparting to them the spiritual blessings you receive in your relationship with Christ and with the church. I am sure the image of Christ will be reflected in you.、Uh, you will be. Uh, a, a, like a little Christ to them, you will be a mirror that reflects the beauty of Christ to the world. Now, let me close with the final situational challenge for all of us. 
situational challenge for all of us. Here's what I mean by a situational challenge. You and I and the world are in a dire, dire situation right now. And the reason why it is so is because of death. Um, the truer and deeper problem underneath COVID-19 is death. And even if we overcome COVID-19, truth is, it only delays our real problem of death just by a tiny little bit. So the situational challenge for us is to not lose sight of this problem. Somehow face this problem head on and yet somehow still hold on to hope, live with laughter and joy and meaning in the midst of this struggle. How do we do that with a sober mind? Not numbing ourselves with entertainment, not dismissing the big problem, but with an objective and rational mind, how do we continue to pursue meaning and live with joy? How do we continue to laugh? How do we continue to sing? We need to ask this question that Tolstoy asks again. Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me cannot destroy? And the good news is, in Jesus, we have the answer that can meet the situational challenge. In Jesus, the answer is yes, there is in fact a meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me cannot destroy. And that meaning is Christ himself in his death and his resurrection. Jesus, through his death, identifies with our deepest problem and through his resurrection presents us to our neediest answer, our, the answer that we need the most, that will free us the most. Jesus is the historical and empirical yes to our dire situation. In him, we find a meaning that's not going to die when we die, but live on as he lives on. He lives physically in his resurrected body, so all that we do physically now in this physical world will have meaning too. Even as things are decaying and dying, we have a reason to live, a reason to heal, a reason to cure, a reason to be generous, a reason to love, a reason to laugh, and a reason to sing, sing on our balconies. We have a reason to celebrate all the good in the midst of the bad because good will triumph over bad as Jesus triumphed over sin and death. We can all be like Olaf, the, the snowman who sings under the sun, even though the sun means his own destruction, yet he sings, he celebrates. I know I promised my church I'll retire all Frozen references uh, last year, but I lied. Uh, maybe, maybe this will be corrected when I actually get around to watching Frozen 2. But friends, if we have this hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we can sing with a sound mind. We can live with a true hope and pursue a true meaning even during COVID-19. Without pessimism, without any fake optimism, we can celebrate all the good there is still in the world because in Jesus we have a Savior who walked out of his own grave and promises make all things good again, all things new again. Look to him, trust in him, and he promises he will save you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this hope of the resurrection that we find in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending him to identify with us in our deepest, most uh, urgent problem so that we would find the answer 
that frees us and, and satisfies our deepest need. Would you help us turn to Him? Whether it's rediscovering this hope or discovering it for the very first time, would you help us turn to Him so that we would find a true and rational reason to cling to hope, uh, to celebrate the good things, and to laugh and to rejoice and to continue to heal and to help go alongside those who are suffering and to weep with those who weep, bringing all of these together just as Jesus did in His life. May we imitate Him as we draw nearer and nearer to Him. May we see Him active and alive in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.